Welcome everyone to What the Force and welcome to a discussion on the parallels in Hinduism and Star Wars. And with me today is Susan Bailey of the Organa Digest. Welcome, Susan. Hi, I'm so excited to be here to talk to you. Yay. No, and uh, when you approached me after I, I had joined the Organa Digest for a, a brief interview, <laughs> you were like, That's what we do. We should talk. We sh we should talk more. And I'm like, yes, you should come on. We should talk. And you you sent me this really amazing email on all of the parallels that you could think of. And it's like basically, you know, a small essay on <laughs> parallels between Hinduism and and Star Wars. And I totally see it. Like it is actually kind of shocking. I found a lot of parallels in Greek myth, but yeah. this specifically, especially the legend of Shiva is really fascinating. Holy heck. Well, you know, I had been sort of compiling this in my brain for, you know, a while now. And I was just like, nobody is going to understand anything that I say. But then after I listened to your episodes about, you know, mythology and your interest in, you know, like Taoism and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, okay, Marie Claire's going to get this. She's going to get this. <laughs> yes, I will. And we will take you on the, on the, uh, the journey through these parallels and just to kind of describe kind of what they're all about and specifically we're going to be talking about sort of like two I I guess they're myth uh in a way right religiously mm -hmm. they're they're religious yeah. stories right for Hinduism and uh it's really about focusing around the personality of Shiva who is one of mm -hmm. the the gods uh he yeah. is considered to be the god of destruction and we'll go into who he is and what he's all about in a second I'll get you to explain him and two of his wives which um like kind of are almost reincarnations of each other. Yeah. Uh, exactly. One is a is a reincarnation of the other one. So that is Sati and Parvati. Yep, got it. And um, we're gonna be talking about those two ladies and how cool they are in in addition to kind of all of this. But uh, before that started, I kind of wanted to talk about like myth and why it parallels story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay. Joseph Campbell spent his whole mm -hmm. life talking about how the monomyth exists. And it's this idea that actually all of the stories that we tell ourselves about our human experiences, so that include, you know, the story, the fiction that you're reading right now, you know, all about modern day versus the stories that people, you know, in ancient times would tell themselves all parallel specific tropes and ideas and desires because we're all humans. Human. Yeah. And we go through the same experiences from birth to death, love, you know, loneliness, belonging, loss, you know, and how we handle those psychologically mirrors the narratives by which we tell our children stories. And that's where this is all coming from. Yeah. Whenever we make new stories today, films, novels, whatever mm -hmm. it might be, all of that is sort of like the substrate or the foundation out of which it grows. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worthwhile for us to look at the sacred stories of other religions and other cultures, because sometimes the stories that we have in our culture are not sufficient to explain 
between our psychological experiences Mm -hmm. um, or our experiences of things that are beyond ourselves. And just like how there are words in certain languages to explain phenomena, and there are not those words in other languages, and you need to find those words, it's kind of like finding those stories can help you explain some of those things. So if you know some of those stories, which are created from human psyche, human culture, human experience, it might help you explain your own feelings and your own understandings and experiences better. Exactly. And in addition to, you know, what Susan so eloquently just said, we don't exist in a void. We don't exist in a vacuum. All of these stories are layered on top of each other. It's kind of like when the Beatles who existed, (laughs) the Beatles, (laughs) the band, you know, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, they, they existed and they were part of the British, you know, rock pop scene. And then they decided to go to India for a while and all of their music took on that like bend. And then they realized that there was parallels between their experiences and the experiences of those living in a place so far away from themselves. And then they brought those experiences back. And we're not saying that maybe all the time people were listening to these this storytelling, but there's certainly hints and clues that they paid attention to it at least a little bit. Did you want to talk about, as an example to kind of set the stage, Padme's name? Well, so her name means lotus. Mm -hmm. I think they may have actually taken it from a Tibetan Buddhist mantra, which is Om Mani Padme Hum, which means I am the jewel in the lotus. So actually the word Padma means lotus and Padme means in the lotus. Mm. So of course, when I first saw her name, I was like, guys, how do you not know about locative case endings in Sanskrit? I mean, seriously. <laughs> no, but um, <laughs> then they started to name all her and all of her attendants with like, the, yeah, the and they all have Padme Dorme. And I was like, you're saying they're in the something in Sanskrit. Do you not know this? Apparently, I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> but she's not the only one who has you know, I mean, like Ahsoka, her name is directly taken from like the first Buddhist emperor, Ashoka Maria. Mm -hmm. And so I mean, it's it's not just her. So there's a lot out there. And of course, we know that they've taken names from like Japanese culture and, you know, Chinese culture and things like that. Oh, and her last name. Oh, I didn't Mm -hmm. even talk about her last name. Amidala? Amidala. So, so that is, to me, it looks like a mashup of two other words. Mm -hmm. Um, Amitabha and Mandala. Mm. So Amitabha is a savior Buddha and a Mandala, you might know, people often pronounce it Mandala. Mm-hmm. Um, you have it in like coloring books there. It's sort of like a geometrical kind of map or graph of things. Mm. So like her whole name is just kind of, you can pick it apart and it all has meaning. I guess is what I would say. Yeah, but it comes from that culture, which is, right. and same with like her handmaidens, right? So it's right. It's not like George wasn't looking in that direction with right. some of these thoughts. It's pretty clear. I mean, it's pretty clear that like he was listening to Joseph Campbell and Joseph Campbell talked about this stuff, mm-hmm. even without having, you know, like, I mean, he clearly delved into a lot of the stuff. Otherwise he would, I mean, otherwise Lucas would not have been able to come up with names like that or yeah. 
um, you know. What is the significance of a lotus? Well, a lotus, it's kind of a symbol of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times you see the Buddhas depicted as sitting on a lotus, like they're like, they are the jewel in the lotus. Mm-hmm. Your, but your mind can also be like a parallel to a lotus. Like it can open into something magnificent when it blooms. Mm. So a lot of times you see lotuses around. Uh, it can also be a symbol of like fertility and prosperity. Like you see the goddess Lakshmi sitting in lotuses in a pond with lotuses. And it's definitely also clearly a feminine image. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, what I took from her name is that she is a, a kind of a, I guess, like a, a blossom in the sense of something that has like fully, you know, it is open in its potentiality, like mm-hmm. not something that's a bud, but something that has blooms and is open in its potentiality. But then of course, you know, then there's also the idea that that could be the place where, you know, a fertile location from which forth other blooms <laughs> can arise. <laughs> That was that was very well put. No, okay. she is the mother of Luke and Leia. Like right. that, you know, that is part of it. And it is it is fertility. It is abundance, know, prosperity. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and she is yeah. she is all of those amazing amazing traits. One other thing I should mention about the lotus is that the reason that it's such a good image in Hinduism and Buddhism is that the place that the lotus comes out of is usually muck. It usually grows out of like a marsh or a swampy kind of pond. So kind of like how our earth is sort of murky and filthy from out of that, that is also a source of fertility so that something glorious can come out of that something that looks disgusting, I guess. Yeah, and it, it's, yeah. it's very much like the the balance of death and life and, yeah. you know, uh, birth and rebirth and, you know, kind of those cycles of uh, the cycles, right? And And that's another, like, strong thing to mention about Hinduism especially is that in mm-hmm. Hinduism – Everything goes through cycles. Right. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, so one thing that's, I think, remarkable about Hinduism, as opposed to sort of, um, you know, like Christianity or Judaism, is that its view of time is just immensely long Mm -hmm. and almost indescribably long. And there is the idea in Hinduism, that time itself um, comes into being and then contracts in upon itself and then starts again. And this happens endlessly. And so just because one story can be true in one timeline, and then another story can also be true in another lifetime or in another timeline. So our lives as humans are cyclical. Mm -hmm. You know, we go through a process, and then the process starts again. And it's like, And it's like a circle. The same thing happens with mythology. They don't necessarily, just because one story is true doesn't mean that it contradicts another story. They can both be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, or multiple stories can be true at the same time. So it's a different kind of view of the way a process works. One principle, like a God could exist and permeate the entire timeline and then come to fruition again and again. So I guess I think about that in terms of like when people say repetitive things happen in Star Wars and I'm like, that's the point. Yeah. 
that's how you know it's a sacred story because it happens again. Like if it, if new things are constantly happening, that's just randomness. You know that it's part of that cyclical process of sacred time because you see sort of like a, a reiteration of, of certain events coming together in different places over and over. So to me, when I see, you know, a phrase like, it's Star Wars, Star Wars that rhymes. Or, right, exactly. Yeah, or yeah. there's, uh, you know, amazing visual parallels even right. between Anakin mm-hmm. and Kylo Ren. Right. Like it's, and it doesn't even have to necessarily be people who, well, and those generations are parts of that cycle. Yeah. You know, each generation is that cyclical thing happening over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and sometimes, you know, as a, as a psychologist or a therapist might say, sometimes you have to have those things happen over and over again until you can get them right. Yes, exactly. I was going to, I was going to say that, like, <laughs> this is the storytelling equivalent of going to therapy and talking about right. it until you can figure out the truthful answer. And that very much ties to the, I, the, the cycle of reincarnation that mm-hmm. is also synonymous with Hinduism. The idea that you kind of go through these reincarnation cycles until you can figure out how to actually ascend um, you know, and actually yeah. become the full version of yourself. And, right. and each you know, time yeah. that you're, that you're born, you're not exact. I mean, you're still you, but you're not going through the exact same lifetime, you know, like in one birth, you could be a fish and you, you do a great job at that. And so then you get a different birth, you know, mm-hmm. and that keeps happening, but you're still you and you're still like, having to encounter those challenges and successfully do the right thing mm-hmm. over and over. Or yeah, and like, I, I think this ties very strongly to the, and I think that we'll get to it down the road, but um, the idea of Anadala and reverse mm-hmm. Anadala and that perhaps yeah. Anakin is reborn as Kylo and that Padme is reborn as Rey. And these ideas of reincarnation kind of in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. I don't know if they're like one-to-one exactly, but they, there is a type. There yeah. is, a, there is, I guess I wanted to say there is a force, like there is a power that might be <laughs> born within them. And whatever that is has to come back again and again and encounter that relationship again. Until they can get it right. Until they can get it right. Yeah. And, and I'm not necessarily sold on the reincarnation idea. Yeah. I like I'm not it. either. I like it because it's, it like kind of makes sense from um, a very high level perspective, but it doesn't necessarily need to be true to accomplish the same goal, which is to fix what is broken within the Skywalker line. Yeah. Right. Like if you read the reincarnation in a psychological way, like saying in this situation, I'm Padme and in this situation, I'm Ray. And like you're encountering that same relationship with that person. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Does that make sense? Like you're Mm -hmm. you're the one who's going through that experience. You say, "Okay, here I did this. That didn't work. 
let me try it a different way. Let's try <laughs> this again. But in every birth, those two things have to come together. They're always together in the in that. Yeah. In whatever in whatever universe they live, in whatever story and timeline they live, that relationship is always there. Yeah. It's it's just really fascinating if you kind of think about it like that and that, you know, generationally, you know, mm-hmm. that the next generation in some ways has to fix the mistakes of the generation before. Otherwise you're just kind of stuck in a cycle of suffering. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're stuck in samsara. You're going to die again and then you're going to be worn and you're going to, and you're going to have the same thing happen again. And it's just suffering upon suffering. The only way to fix that is to make different choices and encounter those forces differently. And and what is (laughs) like in, in, if we bring it back to star Wars, star Wars, is the suffering like don't right like the fact that there is a constant war happening right. in star wars is the suffering people are dying people are starving people are enslaved you know quote unquote star wars not a good thing actually no I <laughs> no, mean, no i've seen these memes on the internet where they say like here's all these different doors and then you go through each door and you go into a different universe. And I'm like, I do not want to go into that universe. I mean, there's <laughs> like constant war and suffering, you know? Yeah. And not, not to be the wet blanket on, on our own fandom, but it, it's not a nice reality to live in. Um, there was a, there's a curse. Uh, I think it's Roman. It, it's not a good thing. And it's it the yeah. curse. May you live in interesting times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. May may you live in interesting times. And I'm very much reminded of nowadays. You know, like may you yeah. live in interesting times and and all of the craziness that comes with it. But it's it's not a good thing. A good thing is to have stability and peace and right. You know, be able to know where your next meal is coming from and not have the right. stress of not knowing. Oh my God, are we every single day going to die? You know, are we going to be enslaved? Is our planet going to be used up for all of its resources? Every day I have to go and find something that I can sell for food. And that's the only food that I get that day. Right. Exactly. Right. Like that's, that's Ray's stories. Like she literally, if she is lucky, maybe she's got a couple of days of food. Right. Maybe that is samsara. Samsara. Yeah. Did you know, That's you know I I know this may not be relevant, but um, I studied Bengali for a few years and the word samsara in Bengali is shangshar, which is the word that they use for family. Oh, <laughs> so samsara <laughs> is like the cycle of like having children, getting married, having children getting married, dying, you know, like the whole thing. They're like, you're caught up in this cycle. <laughs> it's an interesting way to think about it. But that's, that's where the... Sometimes around the holidays, we feel that way. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so let's start to dig into the parallels of Shiva to what I would say is I, it parallels at least one of the chosen ones. Yeah. Anakin... So- and Kylo in, in yeah. many ways, right? So right. let's let's talk about Shiva. Shiva, what's Shiva like? The, um, that dude. He, he, so he he's an interesting god because he lives in the wilderness. 
he's a god that's sort of outside of human culture in a way. Mm-hmm. He's the god of yogis. He mostly walks around naked. Um, he's like his the things that he covers himself with are like animal skins and snakes. He's covered in ashes because he, you know, as a as an ascetic, he like dwells in strange places like cremation grounds, places where oh. nobody else would go. You mean like Mustafar? Yeah. You know, like when I when I saw when I saw Kylo put, you know, like smack down his grandfather's helmet into that pit of ashes and I was like, "Oh yeah, those are the ashes in which he is covered. He is yes. covered in the a- yeah. That and the ashes of things that he, he's destroyed or burns the ground. Right. Yeah. And those ashes make you in this story realize that you are not attached to normal life. You're constantly aware of the presence of death. This life of bodily pleasure is. And very much like um, the the feelings that Vader, especially that they've dug into in the in the newer comics and in Lords of the Sith and in um, kind of bringing this back in fully into canon is that he feels like he's constantly burning in his skin. Yeah. And like that he is ash, basically. And, um, you know, like kind of after Mustafar and um, the the more recent comics, uh, Vader 2017, he fully builds his castle on Mustafar. Mm-hmm. And it's like his little like, like, I'm off in the wilderness and leave me alone. And I'm, I'm covered in ash. Like he's very hardcore right. in that way. <laughs> And, you know, there, there's some other interesting things about in Indian civilization, the places where he dwells, like mountains, mm-hmm. are the equivalent of nowhere. So mm-hmm. in so I think of that as being very similar to the Outer Rim or being similar to a desert planet. Mm-hmm. It's on the edge of civilization. Yeah, um, never, never within society. Right. Yeah, never it's, having a place of belonging. But at the same time, those mountains are a place of escape and retreat, kind of like Octo is. Throughout human history, you know, religious people who wanted to really focus on their meditation would go to caves and lonely places. And that, that happened in the Christian tradition. You have like the desert fathers who went out into the desert. Um, you have places built like Skellig Michael, where monks would go to mm-hmm. me- to meditate. That's kind of where he dwells and hangs out is places like that. That's awesome. That's where he hangs out, but he is known as the god of destruction and death. Like that is so, his kind of moniker, right? Yeah. So, I mean, people... I mean, but the thing is, the thing is, is that it's a necessary destruction. Yes. If you think of something being destroyed, it's not necessarily a totally negative thing. Yes. Because if there is not destruction, there cannot be creation. Exactly. And it's very much in the idea of like the balance between life and death. Right. And and in some ways, the destruction is not necessarily physical. It's also like mental, like destroying the barriers from finding your true self killing the past killing the past <laughs> things like that you know you've been lying to yourself right <laughs> things like that right so it's it's very much in line with the idea that to get past uh, a block or you know to move forward we have to remove the old. you may have to burn it down 
Yeah, exactly. Let the past die. Right. Kill it if you have to. Right. We've heard those words twice now, actually, in canon. One Vader <laughs> and one Skylo. Yeah. Really fascinating. So, but that's the thing is it's like destruction cannot just exist. Exist by itself in yeah. isolation. Otherwise, there would be nothingness. Right. There is a situation by which um, Shiva specifically did go on like a destroying rampage. Right. So, right? yeah. So we can um, get into here his his marriage to the goddess Sati. Mm-hmm. So, um, so her mother, Sati's mother wanted to have a daughter. So she prayed to Adi Parashakti, which, which means the original primal power. Like if you, if you sort of, which is feminine, if you kind of translate it. The force is feminine? What? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So like Adi means like original Mm -hmm. and then Para means like uh, paramount or Mm -hmm. supreme. And then Shakti means power, but it's feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, so the sort of primal feminine power was incarnated in Sati. And so what's interesting about Sati is she realized that when she saw Shiva, she wanted him for her husband oh. and re- what for no. her husband <laughs> and, um, and her parents didn't like him. Nobody. I mean, he was kind of a weird loner. Dude, he's totally weird. He's totally weird. I mean, like she she underwent um, she she underwent asceticism, you know, self discipline, um, things like that to win him. And after they were married, her father still did not like still did not like her husband. His name was Daksha, and Daksha. Uh, had a fire sacrifice, kind of like a party, and he invited all the gods except Shiva because he didn't want this weirdo there. <laughs> of course, here's the thing. They never realize that these are actually gods. Like, he doesn't right. realize that Shiva is actually... Oh, you're that Shiva! Oh, that dude? Oh, yes. shit. I mean, like, he probably doesn't... Eat- but that's the thing is like they, they don't know that their goddess that their daughter is the goddess. Right. Because she was imbued with Yeah. They think she's just a girl. Right. And and like I think that's really cool from a parallel perspective to Star Wars in that, you know, I've very much talked about how I I view that force users are almost like avatars of the force or like, you know, demigods of the force walking ar- amongst the humans right? You don't see them as different because they're in the same packaging, but they actually have these phenomenal cosmic powers as long as they can connect with, you know, who they actually are. Well, I think there's another, a couple of other important parallels. One is, goes back to the heroine's journey, Mm -hmm. which is that the, the heroine has to realize that she has everything she needed the whole time. Right. She is the goddess. goddess. She has always been the goddess. Yes. She might know that even if other people don't know that. Primal feminine power. Right. Right. By having the conversation with herself. And then at the same time, it parallels things like, like think about like Snoke's telling Kylo, you 
that girl resisted you like this girl nobody she did she's yep. she's been the goddess the whole time nobody mm -hmm. knew it yeah so this is the only person this is the only woman who could approach someone like shiva because yep. she is the goddess no other ordinary mortal could do it in some ways like bring bring balance to him and that's right. that's a lot that's well, a big theme in in both of these shiva stories so i want to come i want to come back to that yeah but, um so the outcome of the fire sacrifice is that she is so angered and mortified that her father would not invite her husband to the fire sacrifice that she goes into the fire sacrifice the fire herself and her mortal form is burned away or she, oh. she, I mean, she, she kind of dies there. Shiva is just loses his mind that his wife, I mean, like you have to realize like she's the goddess. She's not really dead, but okay, okay. she I'm had gonna, a body. I'm going to do okay. it. Darth Vader, no. No! <laughs> so yeah, Sorry. that's pretty much exactly <laughs> what happens after he takes her immolated body carries it w with him throughout the country and he and he does what's called the tandava dance which is the dance of destruction it's his he's a rage monster at this mm -hmm. point that his wife died even though she, she died sacrificing herself for him and he is just a complete rage monster about it he goes he goes on a uh, the other gods have to intervene to stop him. He's like threatening to destroy the earth. So one of the other gods, um, Vishnu, has he has a, a weapon, which is a wheel, a chakra, and he takes that and starts to like sever parts of her from him physically so that he can let go of her. And the different parts of her body become part of a sacred landscape of South Asia. So there are different parts of her body. I think there's like 52 of them throughout the countryside. You can like go to those different temples and it'll be like, this is where her ankle is. This is where her left arm is, you know, things like that. I went to one in Assam that was supposed to be where her yoni is. Oh, good. The womb. And it, yes. And it, and um, they say it menstruates. Yeah, oh. you go down into a cave and there's a stone there with a, with a, a <laughs> and they say that it menstruates and that's where her, where the goddess's womb is located. Yes. Yeah. So, the yoni yeah. is, uh, is a symbol of the goddess and then the, and then there's right. a combined piece to it. Um, yeah. Length. The lingam. 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 Right. But, which is yeah. the, represents Shiva and together that's in union in union yeah. is there is the sacred symbol of this god right. pair basically and and the thing the interesting thing about the viewer's perspective of them in union is that you are inside her womb when you in order to view this mm. shiva you know kind of bursts into the physical world but you are in the physical world this physical world is her body. We are in the body of the goddess. Oh, interesting. So it's just really interesting, because, like, especially when we get into The Last Jedi, there is so many womb, uterus, uh, vulva, like symbolism. 
yonis yeah. like all, all over the place like the, um the prime the prime jedi the pool the pool yeah with the two it's, of them together wet. yep oh and, yeah and, and that's the everything other is wet everything is wet um, and, and uh, yeah. the imagery from crate, like leading out of the the crates, like safe underground mm -hmm. cave, and then the the streaks mm -hmm. of red. Anytime you see a cave, it has to be a feminine place. Mm -hmm. One of the ways that in a in a temple or a sacred place that you can worship the Langam and Yoni in union is to bathe it in in liquids. <laughs> because it's so hot, you have to cool it off with water. So like milk, juice, things like that, honey, anything that can like cool it because it's, you know, it's so hot. So like, again, it's like the feminine. Is it actually hot? Well, I mean, I mean, it's not like, like hot. Metaphorically hot. Metaphorically okay. hot. Okay. Metaphorically well, hot. I'm like, so, what do they put it like on a no, heat no. vent? It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, you have to think about like spiritual power is heat, right? If it's powerful, if it's full of like spiritual power that is generated by asceticism, it is going to be hot metaphorically. So in order to keep it from like being so hot that it becomes destructive, you have to cool it. Hmm. And again, that's the sort of like the feminine is balancing out like this masculine rage monster. So masculine rage monster <laughs> uh, goes and destroys the universe for a while yeah, and ends up being tempered, mm -hmm. uh, stops destroying the universe as he lets go of the grief, I think, right? Yeah. Once he is able to let go of the grief, the goddess is reborn. Yeah. And this which time... I find fascinating, like in, in some ways him hanging on to her was the thing that was kind of preventing her from coming back. Right. And this time she's born as Parvati, the daughter of the mountain. And again, like think about the, think about mountains and places like that as being nowhere. Right. That's, that's the, that's the mythological, like the Hindu mythological equivalent of nowhere mm -hmm. is the mountains. So again, and Ray, where and, are you from? Me? Nowhere? Ray, yeah, where are you nowhere. from? Nowhere. Nowhere. No one's from nowhere, Jakku. That is nowhere. Right. Right. The only, the only people who come from nowhere are uh, gods who always existed. Yeah, because they're, they've always <laughs> right. been around, right? Because um, they've always been there. I want to bring up an interesting tidbit that there is a leak, a rumor, so take it worth a grain of salt, that there will be a castle on a mountain that looks like it's from the Himalayas. Hmm. That's interesting. Nine. That's interesting. Yeah, I know. I thought you would find <laughs> that interesting. I was like, this very much plugs into, okay, so Parvati is from the mountain, from the Himalayas, right? Like that's right. from right. nowhere. The right. of of Jakku, which we have yeah. heard is nowhere several right. times. Several times they describe, why does everyone have got to go back to nowhere? Jakku, right? Right. Why? That's not, that's not part of civilization. That's not, you know, nothing could come from there. Nothing where, good. Could it's come where come things go to die. Right. Right. So, so interesting. And, but the thing about, you know, the other thing about Sati and Parvati 
is how they win their husband because as a yogi, he's like dedicated to abstinence and asceticism and like self-mortification and things like that. Mm-hmm. And the way that they win him is to equal him or beat him at being an ascetic. And so I always think about the things that, you know, ascetics do that yogis do is very similar to, to being a Jedi. What, to being a Jedi. Yeah. Like, right. That's how you channel and focus your your power and generate it. It's like um Ray sitting on that rock in the yogi position. Right. Yeah. And like that like... is called the lotus position. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there are um images of the two of them meditating together, Shiva and Parvati, of them doing that together so when i see when i see that i'm just like this tells me that they are like you know these are like force users these are you know jedi Mm -hmm. you know training together basically (laughs) yeah they're 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 training so it's like that's it's like how she wins him over is like yes i'm i'm better at this than you right and and he's like god you're hot well (laughs) but that's the thing is like who is this woman who would go to see this person and think god he is hot that's who i want to marry yeah it's only yeah yeah. inner the inner god right like not the outer shell right but of course you know to me that explains the sort of like proliferation of people being like, wow, like Kylo is so hot or things like that. It's like they see that in him and are attracted to it. Uh, <laughs> yes. yes. The inner, <laughs> the inner destructive force, God. <laughs> right. Well, and and like, like, it totally makes sense. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and it, like visually they've, they've, very much purposefully made Kylo look like Anakin pre Vader suit. Like, like his, even his boots are the same. Did you know that? Oh my God. No, he's I wearing the same boots, but like they're black. Anakin's hair is kind of long and unkempt and Kylo's is even more so. Yeah. And that's also part of the Shiva parallel Yeah, because um, his, because he doesn't, he, he just lets his hair grow. People who take care of their hair, who cut it, things like that. Those are people who are part of society. You know, people who let their hair grow out, they just don't care. So, um, so they don't care what other people think. They, they, but, wave it, they wave it around like they just don't care. Right. And, you know, <laughs> when they are in battle, it flies in every direction. It gets in their face, things yep. like that. So, and... And Shiva does that too. Parallel to the music in in the throne room fight, and yeah. um, I love this, and I and I hope that Christy and I get to talk about it pretty soon. But um, in the throne room fight, there's actually a a beautiful back and forth almost conversation between Kylo and the music that is playing for him and for Ray, and hers is the the her theme. Right, da, 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 which is um, heavenly and uh, mm-hmm. like a goddess and very beautiful and full. And his is this like bongo mm-hmm. drums, mm-hmm. Dun, 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 
like this heavy, like very primal beat. So, and fascinating. There is a direct parallel to this in the Shiva mythology too, because one of his forms, especially in South India, is as Nataraja, the Lord of the Dance. And so, when I saw the throne room scene, I was like, "This is exactly what that is." Because if you look at his icon, he is dancing in a ring of fire. Like, right. Yeah. The fire of destruction, and um, and he holds, and he holds like the drum that beats time, and time is a force of destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, time destroys entropy, and right, like that things break down and things fall apart right. over time, and yeah. it's like this, uh, the grinding of the wheel of you know, yeah, yeah, as things move forward, yeah, that's and, awesome. And he and he does this destructive dance. But his wife, Parvati, comes and she does a cooling dance, which is called a lasya dance and um, or cooling or calming, I guess, is a good way to think of it. So they dance together in a sort of interactive way where he's like active and she kind of like tries to um, temper him. Mm-hmm. And um, they actually, you know, if you see some South Indian dance traditions, they like do this dance together where the where the where Shiva and Parvati dance together. And I mean, I just think about that throne room scene and I'm just like, that's what they're doing. It's they're they're dancing together. They're working together. And you can even kind of see in his iconography of the Nataraja that like one part of his body, the one part of his body is straight and the other part of his body is curved. And that's the feminine part of him. Mm-hmm. That there, that the that curvy that curviness is is her influence, right? Because when they're together, they influence each other. Uh, when he's around, she has the like will yeah. and the and the power to destroy evil, right? Yeah. And when she's around, he's tempered, and the destruction is only used for with it's used with intention rather than. Yeah. Um, say just uh you know rage monster <laughs> the thing to understand about you know like wrathful deities and the sort of destructive things that gods do is that it is partly a form of justice right like, thing, like things are going badly on earth there is a demon rampaging and it needs killed it needs to be killed right so that destructive power that the sword that they wield could be the, the sword of justice um or the sword of righteousness that has to come down on something that has to end. Right. I think I also showed you an image of um, uh, Arta uh, Narishra, which means half woman God. So, uh, so it's, it's a deity where Shiva and Parvati are together in sharing a body. Oh, interesting. So she, she is half of the body and he is half of the body. So mm, very much are, like that uh, prime Jedi imagery. Exactly. Yes. In the, in the cave, Luke's cave that he talks about, you know, the Jedi's failure and things like that. And when I hear JJ say things, things like two halves of the same protagonist, I think like, okay, here is a visual iconographic representation of that mm-hmm. they are literally two halves of the same protagonist they share a body together right and that 
things work out when they are doing things together and when they are separate and like separate by death even yeah the universe is off balance right right and that's and that's reflected very much in the saga if we are to draw these parallels Mm -hmm. oh my goodness susan and (laughs) and the the other thing that's really interesting about is about her though is that she is also capable of incredible power and destructive and destruction mm-hmm. because she she also has this manifestation as Kali. Kali was um, sort of like a distillation of her of her power, and she was called forth to uh, sort of stop a Hydra kind of demon. He was he's a water buffalo, and every time that they put a drop of like a drop of blood of his fell onto the ground, another one would spring forth from that drop of blood. So very hydra-like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very hydra-like. His name is Rakta Bija, which means drop of blood. <laughs> very <So>. literal. <laughs> literal, yes. <laughs> this is where you see Kali. She's got her hair loose. She's got this like proliferation of weapons. And in her mane That's the that's the one where she's got like uh, eight arms. Yeah. 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 And and um and she she's wearing a necklace of heads. And she's wearing, you know, and things like that. Like, and, but in the Don't icon. grew with this woman. Dude, no way. No, bad news. So in the icon, what you see is her with her, her husband is, um, Shiva is like, um, sort of asleep or prone on the floor and she, on the ground and she has her foot on him. And there's some different um, interpretations of what this could mean. One interpretation is that she was so out of control that the only thing that could stop her path was her husband laying himself down before her. And then that's the moment that she stops. Oh, interesting. The other interpretation is that she is actually paramount over him. She's the, the prime force there. But so I, what I saw that, in my mind happen in um, TFA in the forest. Right. Um, when she beats him, she beats him. She kicks him, puts her foot on him and knocks him to the ground. And that's the moment that she stops. Right. She, she doesn't continue to the point where she kills him. Right. She stops. And that's where she kind of like, and there you really see her, you know, channeling yeah. the force and especially that sort of, of like that aggression and defeat of evil and and like all of the power come forth you know and that's the moment when she stops and realizes like i can go no further like and this this is where i have like her rage isn't completely out of control she she stops herself at that point so so i was like like she is certainly the thing that keeps him in check right yeah which is so interesting huh Oh my goodness, Susan. <laughs> I and, I mean, I so what would you say like not that I like to speculate too much, but I do like mm-hmm. to to kind of say, okay, so what what do you think this will mean for nine? Okay, so here's here's what I think it would mean. I mean, if I mean I don't know what they're gonna I don't know what they're gonna do, but like if I if I were writing it based on the Shiva and Parvati myth, what I would do is have them together retreat somewhere into the wilderness to practice their meditation and disciplines together and take BB-8 with them. 
after they they solve the world's problems. Right. Because if, part she, of their job, right? if she dies, he is going to rampage. Rage monster. Rage monster will come out. If he dies, I mean, that would be kind of like a reverse of the the fire sacrifice. You know, I don't know if she would be in balance either without him. Right. So the moment when you see the, the times when you see them in balance is when they're kind of like a happy weirdo family together. Happy weirdo family. <laughs> I mean, they're, I mean, they have this one kid who's got six heads. They have this other kid who's got an elephant head. Yeah. And they're meditating together on a tiger skin under a tree in the woods. They're in balance there. Like that's, I mean, I don't Going know. Off into the, into the wilderness. Together. So like, I always, I always think that they're going to like leave and become moisture farmers. <laughs> like, I mean, well, like after, could. after mm-hmm. they, after they kind of resolve things and say, look, no more light, no more darkness, just no more leave. Sith, no more Jedi. No more Sith, no more Jedi. No. They like leave and go and, you know, hang out nowhere. They go back to nowhere. Yeah. There is an exile theory that like he goes into exile and, you know, she ha- she's going to have to go with him. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's, if I were, if I were writing it based on this mythology, that's where I would end it. There's also like the idea that they could figure out how to give up their powers. Um, you know, those sorts of ideas either way. I mean, it's very clear that part of the imbalance in the galaxy is, is the imbalance between the feminine and the masculine Mm -hmm. and between sort of this, um, very, very powerful god of destruction, Vader, Ben, like fulfilling mm-hmm. this role in in the mythos, and this goddess of creation and justice, right. which very much Padme and Rey fulfill the strong sense of resistance against evil, the strong sense of standing up for what's right. And, and- And that's the thing is like, when you look at, you know, when you look at her in her fearsome forms, like Durga, like Kali, she's not really someone to be afraid of unless you are unrighteous and unjust. Mm -hmm. Otherwise she is your protector. That's the thing about wrathful deities is that they can become protectors. They can become defenders. So if you are in relationship with them as, you know, taking them as your parent, taking them as your teacher, then that's where, that's where their destructive force is channeled, mm-hmm. not towards just like generally out into the world. It's to make unjust, unrighteous things end. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's, I mean, that's the cycle that we're, we're in this cycle of pain, the Star Wars, mm-hmm. right? And that's right. the goal is to end the Star Wars. Yeah. Ouch. Did I just say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> at, least to end, at least to end the war part. I mean, yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if war can ever like be completely eradicated because mm-hmm. of the cyclical nature of things. Right. But at least this time we can put it to an end. The, the war that was caused by whatever the, Im- the imbalance was. By the imbalance, yeah. by you know, the deception by the ignorance, by the 
greediness for power. Um, I mean, that's, that's the interesting thing about Shiva is that in as much as he's a God of like desire and destruction, he's also the God of yogis. So by emulating him, you learn control. Yeah. You learn discipline. So he's also the God of, of that. So I, I always find it fascinating to know that Vader still meditates. Yeah. Like, and he meditates and it's like in this yogi position in his mind. Right. And in the, in the, in the mythology, whenever Shiva is meditating, he's meditating on his wife. Oh. <laughs> he has one pointed meditation on his, on, on the goddess. And I'm like, geez, is that what Vader has been doing this whole time? One pointed meditation on Padme? Like, because she's kind of part of the universe now? Like, oh, the dead body? Or this is his focus. Yeah. Or like, his, his, he's meditating on her, you know, being her existence. Maybe not the dead body, but like, oh my God. But like, but, but her, her being, like, his, his, um, I mean, certainly uh, that's what his focus has been especially in the 2017 comic was trying to get Padme back through the gateway it was really cool that's the other thing though like you can never stop someone from dying in this body that's Mm -hmm. just that's just not possible that's that is evil Mm -hmm. you can be with them eternally but you cannot stop death in this body yeah exactly well this was such a cool conversation (laughs) There's strong parallels there, right? Like, yeah. and and the fact that these stories have existed before is no accident that they could exist again. And the the eternal idea that you know two souls, two people bring balance to each other has been told multiple times in in mythos and in sacred stories. To your point, I. I- um, yeah. Yes. I guess what I would say is there are even more parallels that we haven't even talked about. And so there's more material out there for people to investigate. And also I would like to say that from the perspective of the devotee, there are some people, there are some groups of people who believe that she is the preeminent power. I mean, we've talked a lot about who Shiva is and his personality Mm -hmm. and things like that, but not everybody believes that he is the more powerful one of the couple. He's the louder one. I mean, yeah, he's the louder (laughs) one, but, uh, but I mean, in some ash, like (laughs) everywhere, but I mean, there are stories where like she is, there are, and there are, you know, groups of people who believe that she is as the primordial power, the, the more important one of the two. And he is a terrible husband. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, I mean, I guess, I guess that's I mean, what I would say is that, is that we've talked a lot about Shiva, but I guess I would say there's just as many people who believe that the goddess is the, is the, you know, preeminent. I like to see them as equals. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, think that, that that's where they're probably the happiest is when they're, they balance each other out. Right. Yeah. 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 Because when she, when she's by herself, she also has, she's completely lonely and nobody, there's nobody there to understand her. 
And this is like the one other being who can like understand her um, essence and her power mm-hmm. that she identifies in him. She's not going to like go on a rage rampage and destroy the universe, but like she's also sort of like lonely without him or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's Ray when we find her, right? On Jakku. Yeah. yeah. She is endless loneliness. And, you know, and that's why I kind of say that they're like a weirdo couple because like, they don't really settle down into normal domestic bliss. No. You know, like, like their version of happiness is a little odd, you know, but that's well, what's happy for them. Yeah, it works for yeah. them. And and we saw a little bit of that, I would say, maybe in the Clone Wars a little bit. Like they they steal moments together, and but they were still in society at the time trying to resolve the clone, like the Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But if they had... Like if Sati as Padme Mm -hmm. had had her druthers, they would have gone to the lake country, Mm -hmm. like where no one could find them. Yeah. Out into the wilderness. Out into the wilderness. Where there's mountains and cooling water. Exactly. Cooling water. Very nice. (laughs) Well, this is so much fun, Susan. Oh my gosh. Thank you for just letting me go completely wild with my theories. I really appreciate it. I mean, like, I don't think that it's wild. I think that we need to talk about the stories that influence storytellers. And that could be as simple as, you know, talking about, uh, you know, different storytelling uh, genres. So like film mm-hmm. noir was used in, you know, Attack of the Clones, you know, to kind of tell right. it in a particular view. But also these sacred stories, because they fundamentally are coming from something our, you know, collective unconscious is telling us, mm-hmm. right? Which is by finding your found people, mm-hmm. your found family, you can become whole yeah, and balanced as a person. That's right. That's right. No matter how odd other people think they are. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you, Susan, for coming on the show. Do you want to let people know where they can find you? Well, um, on Twitter, I, my personal Twitter is um, Night Sister Ashla without the last E in Night Sister. So N-I-G-H-T-S-I-S-T-R-A-S-H-L-A. Um, and I'm also on the Organa Digest and with uh, Laura have mostly a weekly podcast there that's very brief for busy people. Um, so come talk to me. I love it. It's great. It's like a snapshot of the week and, and like a mini interview. <laughs> right, right. Thank you so much. And I'll link to those in the liner notes. So it's a lot easier for people to click on those. Thank you for coming on the show and uh, cheers. Cheers. Thank you, everyone, for listening to What the Force. I'm Marie-Claire Gould, your host. Our music is the What the Force theme, orchestral music by Christy Carew for What the Force. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash whattheforce. We like to thank all of our patrons, especially those who love What the Force, Night Huntress, and In Wild Space. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcatchers, including YouTube. You can connect with us on Twitter at WTForce Show. Feel free to reach out and start a conversation. Cheers.